Today is, is part two of the Beatitudes, and something about it reminded me of a scene from this weird little movie that's over 20 years old. It's a bit of a parody of superhero movies before superhero movies were a big deal. Uh, you know, like one person's superpower is that they're great at throwing forks. Uh, someone else's superpower is that they're really amazing with a bowling ball. And Ben Stiller, Mr. Furious, is, uh, gets really angry. That's his superpower. And then there's this character, the Sphinx, and whose, whose superpower is that he's awfully mysterious. That's all he's got going for him. He's, he kind of speaks in fortune cookie riddles. So um, just watch this, and I'll explain. To learn my teachings, I must first teach you how to learn. Why am I doing this again? When you can balance attack hammer on your head, you will head off your foes with a balanced attack. Thanks, bro. This team must learn to work together or mark my words. It will be torn apart. Why do you stand aside while the others practice? Practice? That's not practicing. That's, that's group hugging. He who questions training only trains himself at asking questions. What? Ah, uh, yes. Work well on your new costumes, my friends. For when you care for what is outside, what is inside cares for you. You know, the clock is ticking here. Are we going to sew dresses all day? Or are we going to rescue amazing? I need a thimble. Anybody? Patience, my son. To summon your power for the conflict to come, you must first have power over that which conflicts you. Okay, am I the only one who finds these sayings just a little bit formulaic? If you want to push something down, you have to pull it up. If you want to go left, you have to go right. It's Your temper is very quick, my friend. But until you learn to master your rage... Your rage will become your master? That's what you were going to say, right? Right? Not necessarily. Now, um, for those who don't have the eyes to see, for those who don't have the the spirit of Christ in them. You read a lot of this sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in particular, and you're like, what? You know, up is down. Those who mourn are lucky. Uh, the, the persecuted are blessed. What, you know, are these nonsense riddles? And this was shocking teaching. It still kind of shocks today. Uh, we need the spirit of God to help us understand it. So it's, it's very different wisdom than the world would give. I, I guess Jesus wasn't, telling the world what it wanted to hear. It was, he was telling the world what it needed to hear. I, I will say though, the more mature you become in Christ, the more pain even that you experience, the more you let God minister to you, the more this upside down wisdom of Jesus, it starts to make sense. And that's why we shared some of those stories this morning. I, I read the story of a lady 90 years old and she said, I've been serving the Lord for so long now that I can hardly tell the difference between a blessing and a trial. And I'm just starting now to get what, what that saint understands more fully. So there's this logical sequence of order in the Beatitudes. One commentator called it a ladder. You know, each Beatitude kind of builds on the last one. And uh, it starts with being broken, seeing our sin, experiencing loss, to becoming meek. And so let's look at that. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Congratulations, you're meek. 
Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that has never been said in our culture. It's not a quality that is lauded. It's not a word that I'm necessarily drawn to, actually. If you have thought of a meek person as someone who is kind of easily intimidated or soft or cowardly or kind of weak, you know, you don't run towards that. You run away from it. Meekness is not how elections are won, are they? You know, elections are won by uh, naming everything great about yourself and naming everything negative about your opponent, right? Meekness is not how you get elected. It's probably, it probably won't get you promoted, probably won't get you noticed. I'm not sure meekness in today's culture will get you anything. Uh, And yet Jesus says it is the meek who will inherit the earth. I think God offering the earth to the meek is if I can put it this way, is totally God's style. It's, it's straight up his MO. It's, it's kind of his sense of humor, if you will. Think of it. His own son, King Jesus, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance, Isaiah says. He appears first, not to kings, but to shepherds, uh, born of peasants. He would die on a cross with the scum of the earth. Now, here's how you might define meekness. It's not just sort of the monk taking the vow of poverty because wealth is not a sin. Success is not a sin. Power is not a sin. You can be meek and have all those things. Oftentimes, it's someone who has power and strength that is under control. It is restrained. It is disciplined. Someone who doesn't need to flaunt it. I think of it like a, a, a UFC, highly trained MMA fighter who, who has some drunk guy in a bar try to pick a fight with him. And he could easily wreck that guy's whole face. But he doesn't. He, he walks away. He chooses to be meek, which means if, if you are meek, You are secure. You aren't always trying to strive for more, gain more, assert yourself more, prove yourself. And guess what? Followers of Jesus are inheritors of his kingdom. And that means all that belongs to Jesus. His inheritance is the whole world. So when we take Jesus seriously, which means to be meek, we inherit the earth. And I don't, I don't mean just becoming a billionaire like Jeff Bezos or, you know, owning some island off, off Greece. We get the whole world, everything. He gives it to all of us because we are his heirs. We are his joint heirs with his son, Jesus. You know, I think part of the reward, part of the reason that we can say congratulations to the meek is because they are people who are content. Uh, They've discovered the gift of contentment because let's face it. Most of us, if we had a crack at writing our own beatitudes, we might begin each one with, if only, if only I had that car, if only I had that job, if only I could find that wife or that husband, if only I had more money, then I'd be happy. But you'll never find 
if only in Jesus' vocabulary. Because that isn't the key to being blessed. Being meek is being secure and content with who you are and what you have. And if that isn't enough reward in itself, know that a greater reward awaits. The world is quite literally yours. So is there anything that we are to chase after? Yes, actually. Uh, Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, That Greek word uh, thirst refers to what you can't live without. You got to have it or you'll die. Okay. It's not talking about peckish, feeling a bit peckish. It is desperation, hunger, and thirst. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth for you. That's the kind of thirst we're talking about. It's a, a, a longing for righteousness. There's a fire in your bones. It's like your whole heart is filled with this intense desire to please the Father. You know, righteousness is one of those churchy words that we don't use <clears throat> as much anymore. And uh, it's too bad because it's a great word. Righteousness simply means rightness or rightness with God. It is the <clears throat> desire uh, to see God's standards, God's values established in every area of your life and to see that same thing extended into all parts of culture, in the media, in the government, to see his his righteousness in the marketplace, in the judicial system. Hunger and thirst for that. And Jesus says, what? You'll be filled. Why? Because you'll get what you ask for. You'll be be filled. You know, A.W. Tozer, good alliance guy, he used to say, You could have as much of God as you want. Isn't that great? You can have as much of God as you want. You think that a prayer like, uh, like, Lord, I come, I confess, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. You think God doesn't honor that prayer? Lord, I long for your righteousness. Man, that is a prayer that God loves answering because God knows anything else is going to leave you kind of empty. There is nothing bigger in your life than the calling to invest your one and only life into something significant. You know, some of you watching today, you are kind of just living for your survival, right? You're, you're living for the paycheck. You're living for the weekend. You're trying to just make it through, make it through COVID, make it to the end of the workday, holding out for vacation, holding on till retirement, waiting to graduate, uh, get a new job, kind of just doing what it takes to survive. Now, some of y'all are living for a, a little more motivation. You're living for success. Uh, it's kind of about the corporate climb, the, the bonus, the corner office, the pay raise, the title, the security. You tell yourself you'll live for something different once Once you get there where you're going, but for now, it's kind of all about the going, but there's, you know, a higher level of living. It's beyond survival. It's beyond success. There's significance leading a life that matters. 
Now, you can certainly strive for significance while you're trying to survive. You can certainly strive for significance while you're uh, being successful. Um, the difference is that those things aren't what's driving you. Making a difference, living with purpose and meaning, leaving a legacy, uh, longing for righteousness to break out in your own life and through your life to, to break out into your family, into the world. And as Jesus said, that's the only thing that will really satisfy that hunger that will quench that thirst in your life. You can win the lottery. You can sleep with everyone you meet. You can get the most followers on Instagram and the whole I promise you, will still be there. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. So are you, are you tracking with all of this still? Here's what Jesus said, said so far as a recap. Um, and it's deep. You know, the person who should be congratulated is the one who knows how messed up they are the one who is mourning, the one who is meek, the one who is desperate for, for God, those are the blessed ones. But there's more than Jesus said this, verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, there's this new word uh, that has emerged in 2020, and it's sort of become my word. Uh, it's a German word, Andre, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Correct me if I'm not. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Have you heard of this? Yeah? Basically means finding joy in the suffering of others. There's not one English word that encompasses that. So it's schadenfreude. Isn't that horrible? You ever find yourself enjoying someone else's downfall? When, when some of my political opinions were sort of validated through the failure of certain people, you know, when, when that smarmy televangelist who I could see through is disgraced, um, that unethical businessman who's arrested, you know, when Aunt Becky did a perp walk uh, for trying to cheat the educational system, I'm afraid I, I kind of revel in that. Um, schadenfreude. But if mercy is best defined as compassion for people in need, and if Jesus was serious, then he's asking me, he's asking us to show compassion, to show mercy to even our enemies. Doesn't it seem that everything we know, everything that we've been taught is about getting ahead of others at their expense. Um, we don't want anyone to get promoted over us. We don't want anyone to get ahead of us in line. We don't want that person to get the prime parking spot. We don't want anyone to pass us on the road. I know this guy that whenever somebody tried to pass him on the highway, he found himself almost uncontrollably speeding up just because he didn't want them to pass him. And I thought, that's crazy. Like, why don't you just cut him off first? And Jesus says the real happiness comes from us showing mercy to others. Man, it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? It's just counterintuitive. How do you make people feel when they have hurt you or let, or let you down? Do you make them feel guilty? 
uh, or do you show graciousness? When, when you show graciousness to those who've been unkind or unfair, you show how much you want God. If you seek to punish them, to make them feel guilty, maybe you don't want God as much as you think you do. You know, the Greek word for mercy is this word, ilios. And it's the opposite of the word uh, orgi, which means wrath. It's even the opposite of the word daiki, which means justice. And back in Jesus' day, uh, some regarded the word ilios as sort of a, a, it's a character flaw. It was a sign of weakness. It was a put down. And here comes Jesus. He redeems the word and, and shows that being godly is not giving people what they deserve, but rather mercy, precisely what people don't deserve. It's not really a trait I see in a lot of North American Christians these days. It seems many are acting really kind of, I don't know, out of fear. I think it's a fear of losing their influence, losing their power, losing their relevance, their, their voice, moving from the majority to the minority. You know, it's easy to be merciful when you're the majority. It's a lot harder when you feel like you're losing what you had and you have to defend every square inch of your place in society. I think too of like in, the, in Ephesians, how it talks about how husbands and wives are to treat each other. And, and sometimes it's like, it works out like this. Well, I'll submit to her if she submits to me. And she's like, well, I'll love him if he loves me. And um, those people who Jesus are describing as blessed or happy are not those who say, well, I'll be merciful if I'm shown mercy. They're saying, I'll show you mercy when everything you've done makes you undeserving of mercy. And here's the deal. The mercy that you show, Jesus says, will be shown to you. And it's a message that's right in line with, with other teachings of Jesus. You know, give and it will be given to you, he says in Luke 6. So you could say that God kind of appeals to uh, our self-interest or at least a, a pragmatic reason for being merciful. Show mercy because it works. Because one day down the road, you will be shown ridiculous mercy. God will see to it. Now, take a look at this sixth beatitude that Jesus gave. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, <clears throat> biblically speaking, I think you'd agree with me that the heart is like the true you. It's like the sum total of your your mind, your will, your emotions. And Jesus will say later that you can actually commit adultery in your heart or that um, where your treasure is, your heart will follow or that you could honor God with your lips, but your heart could be very far from him. Uh, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, Proverbs said. So really the pure of heart is the person who is totally sold out to God, not divided in their motive. They will see God. Now, it's worth noting 
and this is important, one day everyone will see God, whether their hearts are pure or not. It's only a matter of time, actually, when every person who has ever lived, saved or lost, will see Jesus. Revelation says, look, here he comes in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. But there are ways the pure of heart can see God today. They see the transcendent glory of God. Um, You remember Moses asked, God, show me your glory. Uh, Seeing a vision is like um, seeing God. Hearing his voice is like seeing God. You know, witnessing a miraculous answer to prayer is like seeing God. Having him step in when you need him the most is like seeing God. Uh, Having him speak to you powerfully through his word is like seeing God being filled with the spirit is like seeing God and the experience is indescribable. The value is incalculable. Purity is the opposite of divided, but that's, you know, that's not how we tend to live our lives. Is it our tendency is kind of to compartmentalize. We have our family life and we have our social life and we have our recreational life. And somewhere over here, there's our spiritual life. And Jesus said, you don't have a spiritual life. You have a life and it's meant to be spiritual. And when you do that, your eyes see God everywhere and in everything. So you're not just a parent this morning. You are a God-focused parent. You're not just an engineer this morning. You're a God-focused engineer. You're not just a teacher. You're to be a God-focused teacher. You're not just a millwright. You're a God-focused millwright. You see him in everything, and in everything you see him. And when you have that kind of purity of heart, uh, that kind of clarity of vision, guess what? You'll find him. You'll find him. Well, Jesus still wasn't done. He then said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Um, When Jesus pronounced congratulations to the peacemakers, um, does, does he mean any kind of, of peacemaking? Probably not. Herod and Pilate became friends because of a common enemy, you know, sometimes some of y'all, including myself are less about being peacemakers and more about kind of being peace fakers, you know, avoiding conflict, sweeping things under the rug. Maybe that's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's such a special anointing to be a peacemaker. It's, it's one thing to have the anointing to preach and teach, have a, a ministry talent of some kind. It's, it's wonderful to see people healed and, and set free and delivered. But to have the anointing to make peace, which interestingly also sets people free. It, it's rare. It, restoring relationships, bringing enemies together, getting people to speak to each other. Um, maybe bringing peace where no one imagined it possible. God approves. God calls you blessed. In fact, if it's God's approval you want, 
I'd encourage you to be a peacemaker. Uh, peacemaking is, is usually not just a, a passive thing. It's, it's an active role. Sorry, just having some technical things. Oh, yeah, I need to move over. Sorry for those who are watching at home. We're just, we lost a camera, I think. So, um, for example, this summer proved again that we have a lot of work to do in terms of racial reconciliation. It's why you may have heard more talk about what it means to be anti racist. Um, you know, anti-racist is more than just sort of passively promising not to be part of the problem, not to, you know, burn crosses on your lawn or something, but to actually intentionally and with some risk even push back against the subtle and not so subtle forces of, of cultural and institutional racism. And this is just an example, uh, And Jesus says that the person who works to resolve conflict, to restore relationships, to build bridges, is someone who is living a life to be envied. The person who has a a healing word rather than a divisive one. The person who brings calm when there's a storm. The person who soothes rather than inflames. You know, congratulations, because that's when we live up to our father's name. Did you make that connection that Jesus calls the peacemakers sons and daughters of God? Okay. He's saying that our actions reflect our origins, our DNA, our imago Dei created in the image of God. God is a peacemaker. And if you are a peacemaker, you will be marked as someone who is related to God a son or daughter of God. People around you will, will see you as someone who is one of God's true ambassadors, one of his representatives, someone who is truly becoming like him. They will call you his son or daughter. Well, let me get to the eighth and final uh, descriptor of this blessed life that Jesus talks about, this spirit-filled life. And it may be the most provocative one of all. Let me just read it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, let me um, remind you of something. Uh, Jesus lived the fullest, most influential, blessed life imaginable. Yet he was called a man of sorrows. He was a man acquainted with grief. Okay, so the most maligned person in the universe is God himself. He remains hated to this day. He, He is scoffed at. He is accused. In fact, God remains the excuse that people use for not believing in God. When people ask the question, you know, why does God allow suffering? They often just accuse God of being the reason 
that they don't believe in him. You know, remember the truly blessed life is not necessarily an easy life. It is not the hashtag blessed Instagram, humble brag life. Uh, I know a message that says come to God and have the good life is a lot easier to swallow than come to God and take up your cross. And I would say if Christianity has been presented to you as a pathway to success or um, health and wealth, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that you, you probably haven't been given the full picture of the Christian life. I hate to say it, but you may discover that you haven't been converted at all because you accepted a gospel. There really is no gospel at all. Folks, the truth is there is not a spiritual victory. There is no level of safety. There's no sphere of wealth or prosperity that will exempt you from hardship. Um, If it is an easy life that you want, can I just say, look elsewhere, but Jesus didn't teach the good life. He taught the right life. He never said that coming to God would make life easier. Better, yes. Easier, no. So his most audacious blessing uh, is something like him saying, congratulations to the mocked, to the imprisoned, to the physically beaten. Like this is supposed to be good news. And talk about incongruous. Happy or lucky are the persecuted. Well, the Greek word for persecuted is, is from daiku, which means to follow. You are persecuted when your enemy follows you, won't stop pursuing you. You know, like when, when the Pharisees kept following Jesus around, they're trying to trap him in his words. And Jesus says, we are blessed people. If, if others are so upset with our faith and our message that they pursue us like stalkers, uh, Paul's opponents, sometimes called Judaizers, followed the apostle wherever he went. So if you are living a, a godly life in Christ without persecution, my advice to you is to just hold on tight because it's coming. Peter says that um, we are to live such good lives among the pagans that Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then he goes on to say in, in verse four, first Peter uh, chapter four, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Now this is super important. You'll notice Jesus did not say you are blessed. If you are persecuted full stop, he added this important caveat. You are blessed if you are persecuted because of righteousness. Okay. There's a lot of jerks for Jesus out there who, who think they're being persecuted for God. No, sometimes being a jerk has natural and logical consequences. Um, sometimes it's not just righteousness that offends people. Jesus said, you know, sometimes people are going to be offended because of me, Christ in you, 
Okay, the real stigma is Jesus. Uh, You're just going to turn some people off because Jesus turned some people off. You will give off the aroma of Christ, Paul says. And Paul says that to uh, the perishing, it'll be the aroma of death. It will cause offense because they hate Jesus. And what is most powerful and most hurtful is that the the object of the persecution, or rather the, the instrument of the persecution, will be people. When people insult you, Jesus says. Now, it may be the devil who lies and stirs people up, plays into their, their bias or fears or insecurities. But it's not the devil himself, you know, leaping out at you in the alley. Uh, rather, he brings out the worst in some people. And some of you watching know the pain of which I speak, uh, the vitriol that has come from friends and family, people that you thought you trusted. Isn't it something that the apostles left the Sanhedrin, it says in Acts 5, and they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for the name of Jesus? Amazing. Have you been insulted because of your stand for Jesus. Congratulations. Do you know the pain of being lied about? God calls you blessed. In fact, he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven and great will your reward be. I I think one way that you'll be rewarded right now is the sense that you are privy to the greatest knowledge that there is that God is pleased with you and you may be a waitress or a doctor or a lawyer. You may be educated, uneducated, but in heaven, you are counted among the prophets because you were lied about, because you were insulted because of your testimony for Christ. It got you headache and heartache and loss and a broken heart here on earth, but there's coming a day when there will be a procession, a ticker tape parade, like none you've ever seen before. And like nothing you've ever received before, there'll be an eternal reward like that. You can't comprehend. Uh, Here's another way I've seen the blessing pan out. Those who undergo persecution are often given this very unique sense of God and his presence. I read the story of this woman, Jenny Eaton. She was in London. She was in London lamenting that she wished she was back where she had spent much of her life in Kenya. But there was this great upheaval going on in Kenya, lots of persecution. So why did she wish she was there? Well, she explained that when things were almost unbearable in Kenya for the Christian, simultaneously, there was a great outpouring of God's spirit. Amazing things happen, miracles, healings, uh, great answers to prayer. And frankly, she felt kind of deprived of it being in safe London. You know, it's like the kingdom of heaven is brought to them with power. Heaven comes down. God, God stoops to be close to those who are in trouble. Most importantly, though, Know that in the sight of the king of the universe, 
whose opinion is the only one that truly matters. You just graduated with honors, okay? And one day you will get the official recognition from the lips of Jesus himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. And everybody else will see it along with you. So folks, there's the Beatitudes. Uh, It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a checklist. You can't treat them that way. Jesus has cast this vision of the kingdom life, of the spirit-filled life. It's an invitation into a new way of living. It's a new mindset. Each, Each one of them tells us who is truly lucky and why. The Beatitudes are in some ways more like the attitudes, right? The godly attitudes, contentment, not based on circumstances, but more on choices. Contentment based on our kinship with the Father, based on an eternal reward rather than some short-term gain, based not on the quality of the life you experience, but the legacy that you leave behind. And I, for one, think Jesus was serious. It's the kind of spirit-filled life that is possible to live. So are you hurting today? The Lord wants to bless you. Um, He wants to keep you. He wants to make his face to shine upon you. And he wants to give you peace. Amen.